Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In this sermon series, Black Swan, we are exploring Jesus through the eyes of Mark's gospel. We are going to be looking at the reason why Jesus, who started off as a poor peasant from Nazareth, became one of the most influential figures in the Western world. I hope you enjoy. What's our sermon series called? It's called Mark's Jesus, the... Acts 1. Okay. Now, for those of you who weren't here when I preached my first sermon on this, you may not realize why it's called the Black Swan, or you may have forgotten why we call it the Black Swan. So, the Black Swan, it's an event in history that nobody could have anticipated, but it's an event that also completely changed the trajectory of our world as we know it. When I preached that first sermon, I talked about 9-11. That was an event in our world that was unanticipated but it has totally changed the trajectory of our world. And so what you're looking for is an event that is either unanticipated or underappreciated at the time. And I told you that Jesus was a black swan. If you had been alive during his lifetime, I doubt any of you in here would have said to yourself, yeah, that guy's going to change the world for generations and generations to come. Let me tell you why. I know you might be sitting there thinking, that's blasphemous to even say that, but let me explain to you why. Think about this for a second, statistically. Jesus was only preaching anywhere from between one to three years. Most scholars think that he was really only preaching and known among the public for about a year and a half. That is not a lot of time to get your name out there. I have been at this church longer than Jesus actually did his entire ministry. And I guarantee you, nobody is going to be talking about what I was doing here in this church. 2,000 years from now. It's just a reality, right? So, and this is why I find Jesus to be so amazing in many ways. Because he wasn't around for that long. His movement was really quite small. And in spite of what the Gospels might tell you, Jesus was not really that well known. If you had been alive during Jesus' day, the person who you absolutely would have known about was John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is mentioned in our scriptures. He's kind of like a footnote, a side item, right? But at the time, in that day and age, he was the preeminent prophet of his time. But yet, 2,000 years later, who do we remember? Jesus. And who's the footnote? John the Baptist. Now, one of the reasons why this happened, in my opinion, is because of the way that Jesus taught. His teachings were simple, yet powerful. I told you all, when we talked about Jesus, that this is kind of amazing, because frankly, Jesus, he didn't probably have any training in the laws of Judaism. He didn't have formal training from rabbis. More than likely, Jesus was just an itinerant preacher, and there's a high likelihood that he couldn't even read. But what he was able to do was to take a teaching and distill it down to its essence. Unlike me, Jesus tended to get to the point rather quickly. He didn't give you a whole lot of background information. He didn't sit there and try to fill it all in. He just told you what he thought, and he moved on. And people like this. People like when you make things simple and easy to digest. Would you agree with that? I mean, when you do it that way, it's appealing to a broad range of people. He tells you what he thinks, and then you get to form your own conclusions. Now, there's an upside 
and a downside to this way of thinking. The upside is that it gives people like me a job so that I can unpack everything that Jesus said 2,000 years ago. The downside is it gives people like me a job so that we can unpack what Jesus said 2,000 years ago. There are more than 9,000 different Christian denominations. I'm not joking. There are more than 9,000 different versions of Christianity. And all of them believe that they have the correct interpretation of Jesus' teachings. Had Jesus been a little more precise about what he was trying to say, then we might not have that many different voices out there saying, I know what he's talking about. But the one thing that everybody tends to agree upon about Jesus is that his most important commandment is the one that we read today. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Just to be clear, Jesus is not the originator of these teachings. Both of these teachings, they come from the Bible. The first teaching is known as the Shema. And the Shema, it comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5. And Shema literally means listen or hear in Hebrew. It's the first word in this whole sentence. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now Jesus, he turns might into mind and then he adds in strength. The second one, it comes from Leviticus 19.18. And that one says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I love that last part, where it's just like, I am the Lord. And it says that a lot through a lot of these things. It just comes down hard. I'm going to let you know who said it. I'm the Lord. So, you have these two teachings, both of which come from the Bible. And Jesus, what did he do? He just stuck them together. That's what he did. And he was not the first to do so either. If you were alive in Jesus' day, you would find that teachers were always asking each other this question. And the question was very simple, which is, what is your summation of the law? How would you summarize all the laws? And so all the teachers would provide their summarizations of what they believed the law to be. And so each teacher, successive teacher, they would draw on books, so they might draw on what other teachers said. And so if you actually look in some of the books that were written a little bit before Jesus was born, there actually are similar summations to what Jesus says. One of these is a book that was written a little before Jesus was born, wasn't included in the Old Testament, but it's spot on almost to what Jesus says. So it's from the Testament of Dan, and it says, love the Lord with all your life, and another with a sincere heart. The next one comes from the Testament of Issachar. And this one says, I love the Lord with all my strength. Likewise, I loved every man with all my heart. It's similar, isn't it? These are close to what Jesus was talking about. Now Jesus, he has his own basic formulation of these things, but he starts in the same place that everybody else starts. He starts with loving God. That seems like a pretty good place to start if you're going to summarize the law, right? So he begins with God. And if you remember when I preached on my Genesis series, you all remember Genesis when I was preaching on that a while ago? Okay, now in Genesis, I put out this idea that human beings, in my opinion, have two natures. We have a physical nature and we have a spiritual nature. So we have these two sides to ourselves. Now, when you look at Genesis chapter 1, it says that humans are created in God's image. 
Now, I don't believe that to be literal in the sense that we literally look like God. What I believe to be true is, is that there's a part of God inside of all of us in the sense that we have this spiritual side to ourselves. We tend to be very good at nurturing the physical side of ourselves, and we tend to be not so good at nurturing the spiritual side of ourselves. And to me, when you nurture the physical to the detriment of the spiritual, then you're kind of incomplete. You're off balance. And so one of the ways that you can do this is by loving and following God, right? If you love and follow God, that's going to nourish your spirituality. And what do, how do we do that in the Christian church? What do we do? Ah, what you're doing right now, right? Okay, so you all are here. You're in church. You're doing the very things that allow you to nourish your soul in that way. And so by coming in here, you are engaging in practices. A lot of the stuff that we do in the liturgy is supposed to be designed to help you nourish that spirituality. But there's a problem with what we do in church. We're only here for how long? An hour. Now, how, how much time do you spend working on your bodies? Well, everybody eats. You eat usually at least three meals a day. Some of you work out. You're always focused on your body. And that takes, what, 8, 12 hours a week? And we give one hour to the spirituality. Now, do I expect you to give 8 to 12 hours a week, like being here worshiping God? Absolutely I do. <laughs> should be here 8 to 12 hours a week. Now, I understand you're here for an hour on Sunday morning. I get that. But what I try to do with that one hour, I try to give you the tools so that you can go out and live out God's teachings in the world, particularly those teachings of Jesus. Because when you live out those teachings, when you actually try to do them, then you embody God's love in the world, and that causes you to love others, does it not? Which, of course, leads us, when you really live out those teachings, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, again, this comes from the Bible. No big surprise on that one. But what Jesus does here is rather unexpected. So Jesus, in this particular instance, he quotes directly from Leviticus 19.18. Those other ones, they didn't directly quote in that same way. He quotes directly from it, but he truncates the verse. He leaves some of the words out. And normally, it really wouldn't matter that much what you leave out. But in this instance, it means everything. So look at the beginning of that verse. You can see it up there on the screen. It says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people. So the part that he truncates is that part, right? He takes that part out. So in the context of this verse, it defines who your neighbor is. And who's your neighbor? It's your people. And who are your people? We're looking at the Old Testament. Who are your people? Well, it's anybody who's what? Jewish, right? So you have to love your neighbor as long as they are Jewish. But if they're not Jewish, well, that requirement falls by the wayside, doesn't it? <clears throat> so by leaving out that first part of Leviticus 19.18, Jesus does not define who is and who is not your neighbor. Therefore, your neighbor could be anyone. This is huge. You have to realize how important this is. This omission by Jesus, it defines everything about the way that he thinks about love. We do not get to discriminate about who we love and don't love. We do not get to choose. We have to love everyone equally. So whether you're Jewish or you're Christian, 
whether it's your mother, your father, your daughter, your son, your brother, your sister, whether it's your, whether you go out and you see the person on the street who you meet, your neighbor in the neighborhood, maybe it's the cabbie who's driving you to the airport, maybe it's the person who's checking you out at the grocery store, maybe it's a criminal who you meet on the street, or a criminal who you meet in prison, or maybe it's some of those terrorists who flew those planes into the World Trade Center on 9-11. You are supposed to love all of them equally. And I'm the first to tell you that this is not easy to do. In fact, many would say that it's impossible. Because let's be honest, do you really love everyone equally? No, of course you don't. There's a hierarchy to who you love and don't love. Who's, who do you love most first? Who is it first? It's going to be your family, right? That's the first circle. We go out a little further. Who are you going to love next? Maybe you have some close friends who you really love. And then you go out a little further than that, and where do you get to? Maybe you have some mentors, some leaders, there's some people out there. But beyond that, we tend not to love people beyond that small inner circle. This is a problem for us. Because if you, how many people call themselves Christians in here? Would you say, yeah, I'm going to define myself as a Christian? Okay, well, if you call yourself that, if you say that's who I am, then you have to follow what Jesus is saying. I mean, that's why you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, then you have to live up to his expectations. That's what you're striving for. And his expectations tell you you're not allowed to discriminate against who you love and don't love. So let's ask the question, why are we so bad? at loving people outside of this small inner circle. Why are we so bad at it? And I think a big reason why we are actually comes from the second part of this commandment that we see that Jesus brings up. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't just say love your neighbor. He says love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if you don't know how to love yourself, then you're not going to be able to love others. And this is really important because most of us are horrible at loving ourselves. In order to love yourself, you have to be able to look in the mirror and accept what's staring back at you. You have to be willing to say, I am who I am and I can't be anybody else. But we are horrible at doing this. Most of us are always striving to be someone different than who we actually are. We live in a society where we are bombarded by images of who we should and should not be. The average person in America sees more than 3,000 advertisements every single day. And these advertisements, they not only try to sell us products, but they sell us ideals of normalcy. They sell to us what a successful life looks like. So if you look like these people who are doing these things, who own these products, then you will be happy. Has anybody in here ever seen the Dove commercial called Evolution? Have you ever heard of that before? Okay, this commercial is a really, really important commercial because it shows you how they make most of the images that you see in advertising. So we're going to watch it. Go ahead and put it on. So clearly, just looking at this, you can see that what they put out there, it's totally unrealistic. People don't look like that, do they? And did you notice, 
at the end of the commercial, when they show it, there's these two young girls walking by, and they just glance up at it and see it, right? That gets inside of you. You see, the image of beauty and success that is put forth by advertising is so impossible for us to achieve that it leaves all of us feeling inadequate. We live in a society where we are told day in and day out that we are not good enough as we are, that we need to be something more if we want to be complete. Indeed, most of us have bought into the notion that in order to live a truly full human life, it is nothing short of perfection. So, you need to have the perfect body so that you can marry the perfect person, so that you can have the perfect family who lives in the perfect house, so that you can wear the perfect clothes and drive the perfect car that is all paid for by the perfect job. And did I mention to you that you need to make it look effortless along the way? <laughs> I'm not saying that there aren't things that we need to improve about ourselves. There absolutely are things that we can improve about ourselves. But the improvements that are offered to us by advertising, these are the very things that are preventing us from being able to truly love ourselves. If you want to truly love yourself, then you have to be open to the fact that you have limitations. You have to be open to the idea that you are weak. You have to be open to the idea that maybe you don't have it all together, that you are a frail creature that can't really do everything on your own. In other words, if you want to truly love yourself, what that means is you have to be open to being vulnerable. And we don't like to be vulnerable, do we? We like to pretend like we have it all together. We like to pretend that we are strong and invincible. We like to pretend that we are only one step away from those advertisements that we see on television. Ironically, the only people who we allow to see our true weaknesses are the people who we love. Our family, our friends, they know all your weaknesses, don't they? And they know them because you love them. That's why you allow them to see those things, is because you love them. And this is why loving your neighbor is so incredibly difficult. Because if you're going to love your neighbor in the way that Jesus is talking about, you have to be willing to be vulnerable with them in the same way that you are vulnerable with your family and friends. And I don't know many people who are willing to show their weaknesses to people who they don't know at all or don't know very well, because I think for most of us that feels quite threatening. So rather than actually love our neighbors, we tolerate them. We get to know them from a distance. And then if we deem them worthy, maybe we will let them glimpse a little bit of our humanity. But that's not what Jesus tells us to do, is it? He doesn't tell us to test your neighbor and then go and figure out whether or not you really want to show them love. Jesus says to love your neighbor, full stop. That's it. And so, if we're going to live up to what Jesus wants us to do, we have to realize that this doesn't come very naturally to us, and therefore we have to work at it. We have to work at being vulnerable with ourselves so that we're willing to be vulnerable with others.
And in doing this, what's interesting is that it leads you back to God. So I want you to hear me out on this, because this is going to be hard for some of you to imagine. I assume that most of you in here, because you're in a church, you actually probably believe in God. Am I right about that? I mean, I would assume most of you do. Okay, so the fact is, though, that when you're in a church, there's a big difference between believing in God and loving God. These are two different things. Because when you love God, what you are opening yourself to is the idea that you need something else besides yourself to get through this world. You need something more to get through this life. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need each other. We absolutely do. There are people around us who help us get through this world. But the fact is that all of us face things in our lives that only we can deal with. Like at the end of the day, people around you can only help you through so much. And that at a certain point, you have to deal with things on your own. And when you do deal with those things, you have a choice. You can either bite down and say, you know what, I'm just going to deal with this and I don't care and I'm going to make it through, which is how most people do it. Or you can look deep inside of your soul, find God's presence, which by the way is in every single person in here, and realize that God is there with you, helping you to get to the other side. Because when you access that part of you that already exists and you can realize that God is there within you, then when you come to those tough circumstances in your life, God's going to help you get to the other side. In other words, what I'm telling you is, is that when you truly love God, you become vulnerable. You allow yourself to be vulnerable because you're acknowledging that I have limitations, that I can't do it all by myself, that I need help in certain circumstances, that I am weak. And this is the beauty of Jesus' commandments, the way that he does them. Because when you look at them together and you understand what he's saying, they are circular. Follow me on this. So we start with loving God. That's where we started at the beginning of the sermon. And what did I tell you? When you love God, you're trying to follow Jesus' teachings. You're trying to live them out in the world, right? That's what I told you. So you follow those teachings, Jesus' teachings. You go into the world. You embody that love. And once you get out there, that's going to have you encountering other people. So that's all of a sudden you're going to be showing that love to others, to your neighbor. And when you want to love your neighbor, you realize, well, I have to be real with these people. They have to see me for who I am, which means that I have to actually love myself. And if I'm going to love myself, then that means that I have to be vulnerable. I have to be willing to be open about my weaknesses, about the fact that I have limitations. And therefore, when you come back to loving God, when you are willing to show your vulnerability and say, you know what, I can't do this all by myself, it allows you to go in this wonderful circle of working on your love. So when you work with each of these, loving God, loving your neighbor, loving yourself, if you keep doing these things in the right way, they grow together. And they allow you to do what Jesus asked you to do in the world. So I want to end this morning by telling you that all you need to be complete is love. You don't need to look any different than you are. You don't need to own anything, the person staring back at you in the mirror is enough. All you need to do is choose love. Choose to love God. Choose to love others. Choose to love yourself. If you are willing to embrace these three things, then I guarantee you, you will find a life that is worth living. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.